Hey everyone, this is Jacob from Attention to Detail and welcome to the first day of our Musical Spark Notes project here where we're going to be reviewing Wagner's Ring Cycle and today we're going to be starting with the first opera in this cycle of four operas, Das Rheingold. And Das Rheingold is the prelude opera, the Vorspiel as it's called, it's supposed to be heard on the first night of four consecutive nights. And it's an opera in one act. I mean, it's a long opera. It's uh, two hours plus, but it pales in comparison to what's to come from Valkyrie, Siegfried, and Goethe Damerung, which are each between four and a half and five hours of music. Those are all in three acts. And so on this project, we're going to be reviewing an act at a time of those. But Rheingold is in one act, and so we're going to cover the whole thing today. Um, this will probably, this might even be the longest episode because Rheingold is a little bit longer than a single act of those other operas. But a lot happens in Rheingold. It's a very interesting piece. It's a very interesting opera, and certainly, it introduces us to a lot of characters and certainly musical themes or light motifs that we are going to want to be familiar with. So. If you didn't listen to our intro episode, I'll just do a brief review. Um, Wagner came up with this really, really interesting system of writing music for The Ring and for other of his operas or what he would have called music dramas. And that's the system of composition through what others have dubbed as leitmotifs or these little short ideas that represent a character, they represent an emotion, they represent something that's going on on the stage or something that's going on in the mind of one of the characters. And the music that he wrote for all these operas is this interconnected web of these leitmotifs. He stripped away a lot of the standard strappings of opera, aria, recitative, chorus, and he replaced it with this completely through-composed kind of mosaic of these light motifs. And so in Rheingold, we get two and a half hours of continuous music. And this music is primarily made up of these light motivic ideas. And so what we're going to do on this review and on all of our reviews is to I mean, cover the bare bones of the plot, but also to highlight the important moments of music and note these important light motifs when they appear, how they appear, the keys in which they appear. So we highlight some of the greatest musical moments and we get to listen to them, but also so that we're familiar with what's going on musically so that when it comes back or when it gets altered or something like that, we we can notice it and and we've, uh, we've hit on it. And so as this is a podcast primarily about music, we're going to focus primarily on the music, but I'll also try to give a crash course and summarize the plot of these operas. And we'll be cutting out large swaths of the piece because, as is common in Wagner, there are these large portions of music, dialogue, hybrid that that move the plot along, but that can be somewhat uninteresting from a musical standpoint. And so when I listen or watch Wagner operas, um, that is one of the challenges I have, is that these periods that can last 10, 15 minutes, you can go 10, 15 minutes without what I would consider a particularly good moment of music. But 
there are so many great moments of music and they, they always come and it's such incredible musical material that it in, in a way makes it worth it. But that's the point of these episodes is that for our listeners, we can cut out a lot of that stuff and we'll just briefly summarize it and then you get to hear all of the important and exciting moments of music. So in any case, let's jump right in. And in Rheingold, we start at the depths of the Rhine River. The Rhine River made an enormous impression on Wagner. It's what kind of gave him this really, at at times, destructive and really abhorrent, but also very powerful sense of his German identity. Um, And so it was natural for him to base an opera around the Rhine River. And the first thing we hear is this at the depths of the Rhine, we get introduced to our first leitmotif, which is that of nature or genesis or whatever you might want to call it. But let's listen to the very opening of Das Rheingold, the first notes that we hear in the ring cycle. So here we get introduced to our first leitmotif, that of nature or genesis or something like that, which sounds like this. Now, interestingly, what's so cool about all these leitmotifs is that they're not just a collection of notes. They relate to one another, and they also have some meaning in and of themselves, and there's a reason why he chose the particular notes. And so actually what we hear at the beginning is this super low E-flat. This is an E-flat major. And then we hear... Now, it turns out, if you want to look this up or do some research, there's something called the overtone series, which is this thing that's produced anytime you sound a pitch. You have a fundamental sound, and then you have all these overtones that resonate above it. And what Wagner is doing here is outlining an overtone series. So this fundamental pitch of E-flat that we have super low, played by the lowest instruments in the orchestra... And then you hear the overtones that go on above it. And it's kind of, there's a reason why this is the nature motif. It's the most natural, physical, sonic phenomenon that occurs. And so other composers, when they choose to depict Genesis or nature, they do a similar thing in Strauss's Also Sprach Zarathustra, which is famous from 2001, A Space Odyssey. He does a similar thing. He goes... We're all probably familiar with that 
epic introduction, but that is again just an outlining of an overtone series, and it, it aligns with what's going on in the plot of Zarathustra at that particular moment. It's supposed to be this sunrise and nature and all of these type of things. So there's a reason why Wagner is starting his opera with this particular leitmotif, but there's also a reason why this leitmotif is constructed the way that it actually is. So we get our first scene and we open on the depths of the Rhine and we come across these three characters, Rhine maidens, who are singing about their gold that they possess. They possess this gold at the depths of the Rhine. They're kind of these um, carefree, slightly vapid characters who seem to just kind of be singing nonsense, but they're admiring their gold, and their gold clearly is very valuable. In fact, it's so valuable that the opera is named Das Rheingold, the gold of the Rhine. So this dwarf shows up named Alberic, who's going to be a main character in this opera. And Alberic, the, the Rhine maidens tease Alberic because he's ugly. They kind of fake seduce him and trick him and then run away. And they're, they're mocking him because he's this dwarf. He's this kind of pathetic character in many ways. And then about 14, 15 minutes into the opera, we get a really important moment and we go to the key of G major. Now, let's talk just a little bit about keys for those listeners who, who don't really know what I'm talking about when I mention keys. We have all of these keys in music, C major, C minor, A major, A minor, um, and they probably are a little bit hard to hear for most listeners just out of the blue, but... Every passage of music in this piece is in some key. And it turns out we don't even really need to know what that means. You can, you can look into what that actually means if you're interested in it. But the only thing that we need to focus on is that Wagner uses these musical keys along with leitmotifs to signal a, a tonal area that he might be in that is, is significant of, of something that's going on. And so we heard... The opening is all in E-flat, and so we, we have this association. E-flat is associated with nature, Genesis, the Rhine. Now we're going to go to C major, and that's going to create this whole new world of associations. And so I'll mention some keys throughout this 10-episode uh, breakdown of the ring cycle, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about keys, these kind of sonic worlds of association. So here we get a, a very important musical moment where Alberic kind of sees the gold for the first time. This gold peeks out from behind the scene and the sun shines on the gold. It reflects off this gold and it has this kind of alluring quality. And so naturally we hear the motif, the light motif that is going to be the gold motif. So here's that, that important moment about 15 minutes into the opera. Oh, 
All right, so we hear our gold motif. That's going to be one that we definitely want to keep in our ears. There's, of course, over 100 motifs, and we can't remember them all necessarily, but this is an important one. This is why we're doing this. I'll play it again for you. It goes... So that's our gold motif, and we hear it for the first time right there as Albrecht sees the gold. And then... Just a short while later, the Rhine maidens are still singing about their gold, and one of the Rhine maidens, Velgunda, all of these characters have these interesting, seemingly Norse-influenced names. Um, Velgunda sings, the, the line she sings is, the world's wealth would be won by the man who, out of the Rhine gold, fashioned a ring which measureless might would bestow. And so here's the first allusion that we get to a ring of power that can be fashioned out of this Rhine gold. So it has some sort of special power. And naturally, this is where we hear another very important leitmotif, that of the ring. And so let's hear the ring leitmotif as Velgunda sings that particular line. An illustration of what Wagner is doing here. She sings that line, and we hear this motif for the first time, which we're supposed to remember somehow as being that of the ring. So here's that leitmotif. So interestingly there it happens really fast, but we'll hear this motif hundreds of times much slower and so we have to have like really finely tuned ears to catch these type of things, but she sings this motif right here. And that series of kind of a line that descends and then ascends and it kind of has this sinister quality, that will become our motif of the ring. And so that's another super important one. That's the name of the entire cycle. And so we definitely want to remember that particular motif. So sh very shortly after this, another really important moment. This is a, a key scene right here because this sets so much of the action for what's to come. And the Rhine Maidens also sing about the fact that he who forsakes love can fashion the ring. We should mention, of course, Wagner, among his many, many abhorrent views, he was clearly a massive misogynist. And so there are uh, many gendered pronouns in this uh, opera. And so we already noticed maybe the world's wealth would be won by the man who out of the Rheingold and he who forsakes love can fashion the ring and all of Wagner's main heroic. Well, some of Wagner's main heroic characters are, are male, but there are some female heroic characters as well, but in any case, we'll have to, along with the many other problems with Wagner, we have to push through some of that in the dialogue. But he who forsakes love can fashion the ring. And here we get another very important leitmotif, that of renunciation of love, which is going to become a ma major theme in this whole cycle, because as the Rhine Maidens say, he who forsakes love can fashion the ring or, by extension, can wear the ring. 
Um, and this motif is going to be very important because the ring is always at conflict in conflict with the very powerful positive force of love. And so here's that renunciation of love motif sung for the first time. So there we get the very important renunciation of love motif. Sounds like this. And that is sung or heard when a character renounces love or this power that the ring has to force a character to renounce love comes up so very important moment in the music and then I want to listen to a slightly longer clip at around the 20 minute mark where Alberich hearing all of this he's allured by the gold the power associated with this ring and he steals the gold from the Rhine Maiden so this is a long clip where we actually hear a lot of musical action We'll hear a minor version, so a more negative or painful version of that gold motif that we heard. We'll hear the ring motif as this this, uh, gold is stolen. And here we're in C minor, another important key that we'll remember for later associations. But here's a little bit of a longer but cool musical clip where Alberic actually steals the gold and the end of this first scene. Action, you hear the Rhine Maidens shrieking, but maybe you heard in that clip the minor gold motif. And the ring motif, the So we hear all of that, and then we hear a kind of version of the renunciation of love motif, the... (laughs) 
we don't actually hear the full thing, but we hear close to that. And so an excellent illustration of how Wagner will string these motifs together in rapid succession based on what's going on. So then Albrecht has stolen the ring. He exits the stage and we hear tons of these ring motifs over and over and over again. And then we get this transition to the second scene where we're going to have a complete scene change and we're going to be in the world of the gods, the heavens, and this world of Valhalla, it's called, which is this godly fortress that another character that we're going to get introduced to now, Votan, the head of the gods, the Zeus figure of sorts, um, has built this, he's built this fortress. And so we're going to be introduced in this next scene to tons of other characters. Throughout the ring, we have the characters of the gods, we have the characters of the kind of mortals or hybrid mortals and gods, and then we have these kind of underling natural characters of dwarves, of Rhine maidens. And so there's kind of three levels in a way. There's a lot of things that occur in threes in this opera, uh, which is a loaded number. That's also happens in other operas like the Magic Flute, but you'll notice we have three Rhine maidens. We have three tiers of uh, types of characters. We have three Norns at the beginning of Gotodamarang, and so something to watch out for. In any case, we transition from this uh, scene in, at the depths of the Rhine all the way up to the heavens, and we hear this very cool transition to the music of Valhalla, which is going to be another very important motif. And I want to listen to that transition because it's really illustrative of a cool thing that Wagner does with his, his leitmotif. So here's the transition to the second scene. So there at the end, we, we arrive at this brass chorale that turns out to be the Valhalla motif. But before that, we're just hearing over and over and over this ring motif, which, as I'll remind you, goes like this. So it goes down and then it goes up. And then it transforms into that Valhalla motif, which sounds like this. And if you listen closely, if you can hear that, that Valhalla motif, just like the ring motif, it goes... up. It's really just a major transformation of the ring motif. 
has a totally different character. It's got this glorious, heroic, godly character to the motif. But that tells us something really profound about these two concepts that are going to permeate the ring, that of cycle, that of the actual ring and that of Valhalla. At some way, they're deeply, deeply connected because their motifs are transformations of one another. And we see that process all over the ring, but it's a really profound process because we know that Valhalla in some way is is problematic or there's going to be some issues because it's associated with the clearly problematic idea, object that is the ring. So we hear that Valhalla motif and we're in the key of D flat major now. D flat major, if there's one key you want to remember in the entire ring cycle, it's the key of D flat major, a key that we rarely ever hear in music. But this is going to be the single most important key that we have. And here's where the real... Um, we've already had one scene of, of action, but here's where we're really going to set events into motion. And so it's going to be important to remember that we started this whole process in D-flat major. Now, we hear um, the gods are, are kind of conversing and they're talking about this deal that the Votan, the, the head of the gods, has made with these two giants. So Votan has agreed, here's where the names get a little tricky, but Votan's wife, Fricka, who is also in this scene, she's a little worried about this deal that Votan has made. Votan has agreed to give these giants, these two giants, Fasolt and Fafner, Freya. Freya is the god of kind of youth and beauty, and she is the sister of Fricka. And Votan has agreed to give Freya to the giants in exchange for them building him this castle of Valhalla. And so he's made this deal. Um, this deal has been etched in his spear, and we hear the motif of his spear, which we'll encounter more later, and so we'll save that. But that's another important motif. It represents this deal he's made and his kind of enforcement of justice. Um, so the spear represents that those ideas. And so he's agreed to trade Freya for them building this castle for him. But Votan has other plans. In the back of his mind, he has another friend, this god Loga, or Loki, as he's known in, in Norse mythology, who's this kind of cunning, uh, devious god, and Votan is trusting Loga to figure out some alternative source of payment and trick these giants so that he doesn't actually have to give up Freya. And so there's lots of discussion, uh, there's some mournful music as Fricka is kind of mourning the loss of her sister. And Fricka, at one point, sings to Votan, Cold, unloving, pitiless heart, for the vain delights of power and sway, thou sakest in insolent scorn love and a woman's worth. And I want to listen to that one line, because as you might imagine, a motif that we've already encountered, the renunciation of love, on that particular line that Fricka sings, we hear that motif, and so this is a harbinger of something to come. So here's that, that motif. Mm-hmm. 
So this is why this music is so interesting, complicated. It turns out the renunciation of love motif, if you were listening carefully, you actually heard it not in the singing, but in the cellos. If you want to go back and listen to that clip one more time, here's what they play. They play... And so that's a really important motif because under what Fricka is singing, we hear that renunciation of love idea. And then we actually hear this motif of Wotan's spear. We might as well introduce it now because it comes all over the place. It's this descending idea of... You hear that right after. And again, his spear, we hear this over and over. It's representative of... This deal that he's made that's etched in his spear, his justice, his lack of justice, we'll learn much more about that as we go on. So then the giants show up, and I want to hear the entrance of these giants also in C major. We, I mean, in C minor, we had some C minor music before when Alberic stole the gold, and so C minor is getting associated with bad stuff, people stealing things. Um, here is the entrance of the giants, and they have their own very powerful, heavy motif that we hear. So here's their, their entrance when they finally show up with Freya. So that motif is pretty self-explanatory. It, gets hit, it really hits you over the head. And those are the giants. It sounds appropriately gigantic. So we have this whole scene where Wotan then tries to renege on his deal that he's made with the giants. We hear this spear motif several times. But he's trying to wiggle his way out of this deal that he's made for... Freya, or giving up Freya in exchange for what they have built for him. So we hear Freya's motif several times, which we'll hear in a second. Um, but there's a, a long scene that I want to listen to coming up where two other gods show up. It's unclear why they're there, but Donner and Fro. Donner is the god of thunder. Fro is the god of like happiness or something. And let's listen for like two minutes because it turns out Loga also is going to show up here, this cunning god. And we'll hear many motifs here in succession. We'll hear Wotan's spear, that descending idea. We'll hear Loga's motif, which is going to be very important. It kind of has this cunning, uh, sinewy character. And then we'll hear our Valhalla motif, which we've heard again. So this is a good illustration of... We hear Freya's motif, um, which I'll demonstrate for you in a sec. So this is a good illustration of many things happening, many motifs happening at the same time time because a lot is happening. Uh, Votan is talking about elements of his justice where the spear is alluded to. We get Loga showing up. They discuss Valhalla. So here's that scene. You'll get to hear a lot of motifs in rapid succession.
So we hear a lot that happens there. These other gods of Donner and Fro showing up. They get into this argument with the giants. And we hear actually a version of Freya's motif, which goes like this. And then we hear... Wotan get in the middle of this dispute and we hear his spear, that descending idea. And then towards the end of this clip, we heard a lot of this rapidly ascending and high music. And that is the music of Loga, which we'll hear many times. So Loga shows up and Wotan is curious to see if Voga has come up with some sort of solution here where he can, Wotan can wiggle out of this deal. So Loga has looked, but he hasn't actually found anything that will work to get him out of this deal. Um, And it turns out that he found there's nothing that he can find in the world that's stronger than love. And so the only way uh, the giants are in love with Freya, and so there's no way for them to get them out of this deal. Um, But we've learned, of course, that there is, in fact, one way. uh, There's one thing potentially stronger than love, and that's this ring where... You renounce love and and get the power from from this this very evil, all-encompassing ring. And Loga says this one line that becomes uh, very important. He says that a man will take it as price for a woman's worth and delight. He's saying that there's nothing that a man will do for, for that. And it turns out we know now that maybe there is, and we hear this interesting new motif that's going to be another incredibly important one when he sings that exact line. So let's let's hear that clip. <laughs> Oh, 
So right there, we hear this motif. It goes like this. And that descending motif is going to be what we could call the twilight of the gods or the destiny fall of the gods motif. Maybe destiny is the best word for it. This is the motif that suggests that something is fated to happen here. Interestingly, again, we think about the relation of motifs, and this is a descending scale that sounds like this. Now, Wotan's spear, if you remember, is also a descending scale. It sounds like this. So somehow these are also related. This idea that Wotan has etched this deal into his spear and destiny, or more specifically, this kind of foreboding negative destiny. So that's the motif that we hear right there, a very, very important one. So Loga goes on, he sings for a long time about love. He sings about the Rhine and the and Alberic. So the, the gods hear this story about Alberic, and we hear all of these recollections of motifs from the first scene, the Rhine Maidens motif, which we didn't highlight yet, but is an important one. They start talking about the ring. We hear a lot of the ring motif. When Loga talks about how you actually get the ring, we hear another renunciation of love motif. We hear more of this Rhine Maidens music. And then, so this idea has been planted. The giants are there the whole time. And Fafner says to Fasolt, the, the two giants, you know, the ring might actually be better than Freya's presence. Her, she's represented by these golden apples that signify her youth. And if you have these golden apples, you stay young, you stay beautiful. It's important that Fafner is the one who says this. So we have two giants, Fafner and Fasolt. And we, we should remember that it's Fafner who's the first one who says, you know, this ring, it might be uh, better, actually, than than Freya's golden apples. And let's listen to that particular spot in the music because very important moment. So we hear that Freya motif because he's talking about Freya and the gold and we hear the gold motif. The Freya motif is the... And then we hear the gold motif in minor. And above that we hear this kind of painful... And so we hear this dissonance, this minor gold motif, and so we know, and Freya, this kind of distant, major, happy version of the Freya motif. So we know there's some conflict here, there's going to be something bad that happens. 
So they ask Votan, you know what, can you get the gold instead? And Votan's original reaction is, no, I'm not going to do this. And so the giants take Freya. They steal her and they go away because they want the gold. This mist starts to fill the stage. There's this very ethereal, spooky kind of music. And the gods start getting older by the second because these golden apples are gone. Loga is the one who explains what's actually happening. They're, they're all getting old and, and wrinkled. And we hear a lot of this Freya motif. And so Wotan decides, okay, he's going to go and get this gold. And this brings us to the third scene, the halfway point of this opening opera, Das Rheingold. All right, so on to scene three. For me, probably the most vivid, in some ways the most exciting scene of this opera. Certainly for George Bernard Shaw, whose review of the ring cycle I mentioned in the intro episode, where he interprets this whole plot as a kind of allegory about capitalism and the downsides of capitalism and this kind of socialist uh, lens through which he interprets the plot of the ring. This scene is really important. It's the most industrious, the most, um, the music that sounds most exploitative in some ways and that lines up with what's going on in the plot, which is that Wotan has left his heavenly abode and is going down into the depths of past the earthly abode into Alberic's mind, the world of these underlings and the world of what's called the Nibelungs, Alberic's subjects. And the Nibelungs, this, this name comes from a, North, a Norse collection of myths called the Nibelung Lied, and the Ring of the Nibelungs is what the, the cycle is called, and so these are certainly important characters. And there's a big orchestral interlude that involves this chorus of anvils. It's some of, as I mentioned, the most industrious, the most, um, it's music that sounds like you're in a mine. It sounds like the music of, of labor exploitation. And, and so if there's one scene where I kind of hear this socialist interpretation through the lens of Shaw, or maybe the, a critique of capitalism, it might be this, this third scene of Das Rheingold. Uh, the rest of it feels like a little bit of a stretch to me, especially as we get into further operas. But let's listen to some of this uh, interlude music, which is fantastic move music, and we'll get introduced to some new motifs. We'll hear the gold motif that we're already familiar with, and we'll also hear the motifs of agitation or turmoil and the motif of the Nibelungs, these characters that Alberic is subjugating. So here's some of that interlude music.
off right there before this deafening chorus of anvils comes in, but we heard a couple important motifs there. First, the one of agitation or pain of exploitation, which sounds like this. You heard the trumpets blaring that out. And underneath is this rhythm. And that rhythm, that driving rhythm, is the motif of the Nibelungs. So we hear that all over this third scene. That So we're introduced to two characters, Alberic and Mima. Mima is Alberic's brother, who's this... Uh, other dwarf that um, Alberic is is forcing to build him stuff out of out of gold, and Mima is a skillful blacksmith, um, and so Alberic has this ring, and he's enslaved all of the Nibelungs, including his brother, and his brother has fashioned him this magic helmet called the Tarnhelm. Now we're gonna. <laughs> this is a very complicated plot of the ring, and there's a lot of things to keep track of. And I'm trying to mention the most important ones, and one of them is certainly the Tarnhelm, this magic helmet. And it pops up all over the place in this, uh, in this cycle, and especially right here. And so the Tarnhelm has a very distinctive motive, this kind of spooky and uh, a little bit suspenseful leitmotif. And so the first time we're introduced to this Tarnhelm, which Mima has fashioned for Alberic... This is what we hear. So Alberic is really pleased with this Tarnhelm. What it can do is it can make him invisible or he can transform into whatever creature he likes. It's kind of like the invisibility cloak from from Harry Potter or something like that. And so he's got this Tarnhelm and then he sings about how he's become all-powerful and you know has this incredible ability to command the Nibelungs, subjugate. His, his subjects and there's this really epic music that we hear when he's singing about his his domination over Nibelheim this this mine um, we should just listen to a little bit of that because it's it's one of the most epic uh, moments musical moments in in this whole opera So another signal of that kind of subjugation or domination motif is that falling half step, which sounds like this. And of course, we hear that 
Nibelung motif again. That comes all over the place. But Alberic is singing about this this domination, how he's all powerful. And then Wotan and Loga show up. They've come down from, from the heavens and their plan is to steal the gold. So Mima sings this mournful aria. They Albrecht leaves the stage, I should mention. So it's just Mima. He sings about this kind of aria. There are no arias in Wagner, but this long monologue about how his life is so pathetic and his subjugation under Albrecht. And he tells them about the Tarnhelm. So they hear the Tarnhelm motif. Um, and Albrecht comes back and he stumbles upon Wotan and Loga and they have a conversation. And Loga, remember, is this kind of tricky god, this cunning god. And so Loga asks, Albrecht is kind of drunk with power and Loga asks him, oh, like, can you show me the, the power of this magic helmet? And... Alberic, of course, is wanting to show off, so he says, sure. And so first he turns into a dragon. And interestingly, when he turns into a dragon, we'll hear a motif that we need to remember, and so we'll listen to it now because it gets associated with there will be more dragons to come in, in the ring cycle. So just this little moment where Alberic turns into a dragon uh, is going to be important for later, so we should listen to the music here. That is the leitmotif of dragons, something to remember for way down the road. And so then Loga, this this tricky, cunning god, he asks him, okay, you can do that. Can you turn into something smaller? And so Albrecht says, of course, I can turn into a toad. And he turns himself into a toad. And at that moment, Wotan and Loga snatch him up. They take the Tarnhelm. They stuff him into a bag and they escape out of the uh, Nibelheim and they go back up to the world of the gods in Valhalla. And so we hear another interlude when they're going back out of this mine, this kind of uh, George Bernard Shaw capitalistic scene, maybe, you know, industrious sounds of anvils, this very kind of grimy dark scene and we go back to the world of of the gods but we hear another great orchestral interlude to transition from from this scene um and we hear many many motifs that we've been exposed to here loga's motif he's the god of fire and so that kind of flickering fire music motif we hear we hear the destiny motif that we've heard many times 
We hear the Nibelungs motif. Bum, 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 bum. We hear anvils, which we've heard already. We hear, hear this agitation motif. And so let's listen to a little bit of that interlude. This is a, a, a excellent orchestral interlude, one of many, but it has so many of the motifs that we've heard in this scene and in the whole opera so far. So we come back to the world of the gods now, and we hear that agitation motif there, blaring over that anvil chorus. And so they arrive back at Valhalla. Wotan and Loga have captured Alberic, and they tell him to summon his Nibelungs to bring all of his gold. And so he summons his Nibelungs. We hear more of that Nibelung music, and... Loga has the Tarnhelm at this point. Albrecht asks for the Tarnhelm back. He thinks he deserves at least that, but Loga does not return it to him. And in fact, in that moment, they also see this ring on Albrecht's finger, and so Wotan asks for that as well. And he then wrests it from Albrecht, takes it from him forcefully, and we hear very. this is a very important moment when Wotan steals the ring from Albrecht, the original stealer of this ring, and... Let's hear a little bit of that music because it's very, of course, we'll hear the ring motif, but it's a very important moment in the plot when Wotan takes this ring from Alberic.
so we can hear the kind of struggle at the beginning of that clip and Wotan takes the ring from Alaric and then you hear this very triumphant sounding music and it sounds like it's going to resolve to something, you know, massive, triumphant, epic. And right at that moment, very importantly, we hear the ring motif again, this... So that kind of quashes this triumphant music and clearly the ring is is not going to lead to epic triumph like we hear in Wotan's singing right before that. So we'll cut a little bit ahead here because Alberic is kind of lamenting his face, fate and they've taken his ring. And then one of the most important moments in the entire cycle Alberic lays a curse on the ring and he says, you know, whoever holds this ring, terrible things will will fall upon them. And right at the moment when he says, I am cursing this ring, we should listen to that because another very important motif, the motif of the curse, which he places on this ring, we hear for the first time. And so let's listen, let's listen to that music to hear what this cur- curse motif is going to sound like. So there, one of the most important motifs we hear in the entire opera goes like this. And that is the motif of the curse. And he has now placed this curse on the ring and bad things are undoubtedly going to happen. So... Then the mist clears. There's been all this mist around because Freya is coming back along with her captors, the giants. And there's this beautiful Wagnerian passage where we hear Freya's motif. It's one of my personal favorite light motifs in the entire opera. This god Fro who's around sings this kind of uh, airheaded aria about how youthfulness is returning. And then we come back to very serious music again in C minor. If we remember, C minor has been associated with a lot of the bad events that have occurred so far. And now Fafner, Fafner is one of these two giants. He's demanding the gold. And he asks the Nibelheim, the, the Nibelungs or um, Alberic, along with the gods, to pile up all of their gold, which is the ransom that's supposed to replace this price of, of Freya. And so they pile up the gold, and for some reason there's not quite enough. They're trying to cover up Freya with all the gold. So for some reason the giants want enough gold that covers the god Freya entirely. And so they pile up all the gold, and of course it's just not quite enough. And so he says, oh, throw that helmet on there. I need that magic helmet, the Tarnhelm, because um, that will cover up this little crack that I can still see. And so, of course, when we hear um, 
this music, we'll hear the motif of the Tarnhelm. And I just want to listen to a little bit of that because it's another excellent illustration of how Wagner uses these light motifs in, in key moments. So here's where they're throwing the Tarnhelm on top of that pile of gold. So there we first hear this horn chorale, this muted version of Freya's motif. The... And then right after that, so we hear her, but it's muted because she's covered with some gold. And then we briefly but quickly as they throw the Tarnhelm on, we hear the Tarnhelm motif that we heard in the previous scene that sounds like this. So just an illustration of how these things can fly by, but they, they serve to enhance or add to the action that's going on on stage. And the motifs generally, if something's being talked about that we would expect to hear that motif, it's usually there somewhere. Not always sung, sometimes in the orchestra, but Wagner is a master of giving us these musical clues. So there's still a crack in the gold, a tiny crack, and the giants see on Wotan's finger now, he's got this ring. And so they say, well, throw the ring on there. That's, that'll cover up the last crack and Wotan doesn't want to give up the ring he protests and so the giants pull back Freya angrily and they say okay then we're taking her and we're, we're leaving and then comes one of the most important scenes in the entire cycle it has its own name it's called Erda's Warning because out of this mist uh, this mist forms on stage and this character kind of rises from the depths and this is the character of Erda the god of nature and she, her motif, as we'll hear, we should hear when she enters, happens to be the minor version of what we heard at the very beginning of the opera, which was the nature or the genesis motif. So she's the god of nature. It makes sense that her light motif is, is very related to the, the ideas of nature. So here's where she enters the scene. Very vivid moment, this character arising from depths in this cloud of mist to warn Votan. So there we hear Erda's motif, this one that goes like this. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the motifs of the Rhine or of nature was this one. So very clearly related. And then just a little bit later, there's this long warning. You shouldn't do this. Give up the ring. It's cursed. Don't let this control you. And then she says this very important line. A dark someday dawns for your godhood. She warns Votan. And as she sings that line, we hear this. So on that line, we hear the motif of... And it turns out that one we've kind of heard before, but that's the motif of destiny or of Götterdamerung, the twilight of the gods. And interestingly, really, really interesting phenomenon here. If we listen closely to Erda's motif, listen to the twilight motif. They're just flipped. And so this nature motif, this Ryan idea has suddenly come to represent the, the polar opposite, the antithesis to the twilight of the gods, destiny, downfall. Somehow these, these powerful forces of nature and fate are in opposition with each other. And their motifs are so closely linked. They're just an inversion, as we call it, of one another. One goes up, the other goes down. So Erda has warned Votan, don't mess around with this. Importantly, that was in the key of D major. And it's interesting, the, the twilight motif is set in major. And it has this kind of haunting major quality. It's happy, but it's clearly not. There's something very very sinister or problematic about this destiny. And so it's, it sounds like relaxing, happy music, but it really is not. So then we hear the spear motif, this motif that come, has come to represent Votan's kind of rational justice, uh, calculated side. And he decides to throw away the ring. He heeds her warning for now and he gives it to the giants. And so they're satisfied and they take their gold. And so Fafner and Fessel walk away, and suddenly, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, you know there's this scene at the beginning of the last movie of Lord of the Rings where there's these characters, the Gollum character, he's Smeagol, and he has a brother whose name I'm forgetting, but they find the ring and, and uh, they're brothers, but they eventually the power of the ring takes hold over Gollum, and he... He ends up killing his his brother um, in that scene. And the same thing that's clearly taken, Tolkien took that right from, from Wagner's ring cycle because Fafner, this character who originally had the idea of trading Freya for gold, now he's overtaken by the power of the ring and he kills his brother, Fossil. And 
I want to play for you a little bit of this music. It's a very dramatic moment in the plot. And we hear the ring motif and the curse motif. Because remember, very recently, Alberic has cursed this, this ring. And Wotan didn't really appreciate the power of this curse until he sees it right now. So let's listen to a little bit of that music and we'll hear our motifs of the ring and of that curse that Alberic sang just a few minutes earlier in the opera. slightly out of tune brass playing from the Vienna Philharmonic apologize for that but no but we hear at the end of that clip first we hear the ring motif which we'll be familiar with at this point but then the trombones very ominously menacingly play this curse motif so clearly this curse that Albrecht has placed on the ring is really rearing its its full force now and has led to Fafner killing his brother. So Fafner leaves. He's got the Tarnhelm. He's got the ring. Um, and Votan, Votan, Tan, Tan is, is now aware of this ring's absolute power. So then in this very vivid scene, we get to the end of the, the opera. This is the entrance of the gods into Valhalla. They have their home built for them now. They've made this deal, but there's these portentions of doom that seem to be circling. But we hear a long, extended passage in D-flat major. As I mentioned, this is the key that we hear at the beginning of the second scene for Valhalla, and this will be the most important key for us in this opera. And this long passage, triumphant music in Valhalla, it's worth a listen to listen to the last 10 or so minutes of this, this opera. It's very epic. And so the the gods are kind of singing about this new fortress for themselves. Fricka has some reservations, Votan's wife. And Loga, in this aside, says, you know, he's not really sure what's going on with the gods. There's clearly some problems here, and he might end up burning this all down. He's, he's not sure that the gods have their heads on straight. And Loga is the god of fire, and so he's he's got some concerns about the character that Votan has showed so far, the power of this ring, um, these kind of tenuous, questionable deals that Votan has made to build himself this, this Valhalla fortress. And 
below them while the gods are are dealing with all of their godly issues in the this top realm way down below the Rhine maidens come back the characters from the very very beginning of this opera and we hear them singing their tunes again underneath all of this uh singing that's going on from the gods they're um they're singing off stage and so you can barely hear them but you you do hear them and it's clear that these forces, these worldly forces of, of the heavens versus the depths of the earth are going to come into clash, uh, you know, in conflict at some point. And all these other forces that we've seen, nature versus fate, we've seen Valhalla and the, the kind of heavenly realm of the gods connected to in this very close musical way to the ring and the fate of the ring. And so... A lot of a lot of action has been set up, and it's not only through the the plot of what's actually going on on the stage of Das Rheingold, but through all of these intermusical connections. And we can already see these light motifs are going to have an enormous role to play in the coming operas, and they're interconnected in all these interesting ways. And so, the stage has been set on our Vorspiel prelude night here of Das Rheingold, and I figure we should close by listening to the very end of this opera. It's great music. We hear um, we hear the motif of, of gold, the gold, and because this is, of course, the opera Das Rheingold, played incredibly triumphantly in D-flat major, and it comes to this bombastic close. And it's important to remember that this first night setting the stage closes triumphantly in D-flat major, um, the gods are in their home, and we know there are portentions of doom, but for now it seems like everything's okay, and so we end triumphantly, heroically, but there's this little hint of the Rhine maidens are singing below and something is off. And so let's listen to this epic end to this first opera and close out this episode, um, our first of, of ten spark note versions of, of The Ring and... Thanks for listening so much. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we will see you back in a couple of days to review Act 1 of Die Valkyrie, which is, I think, mm, I'm not going to say it's my favorite of the three major operas, but it's a very good one. So hopefully we'll see you back. Here's the end of Das Rheingold. <laughs>